Imagine a world in which doctors perform remote surgeries using virtual reality headsets and robotic arms. A world in which sensors report on the safety of bridges. Cars save lives by applying their own brakes. Where crops are automatically analyzed and harvested and where a movie can be downloaded in the blink of an eye. Hailed as the purveyor of billions of new connections, 5G will boost peak data speeds, give greater reliability, decrease latency, and will allow communications to take place in close to real time. This affects everything, from autonomous vehicle manufacturing, industrial automation, entertainment, healthcare, education, and transportation. This is the promise of 5G and it's going to have a transformative impact on all industries and individuals and quite literally change our world like never before. Welcome to The Great Indoors, a podcast series designed to talk about technological advancements in these turbulent times. I'm your host, Matt Roberts, and joining me is my producer and co-pilot, Larissa Yee. Now, today we're at episode two, and our guest is Jim Rizmitsus. Jim has over 20 years of enterprise channel startup experience through companies such as Bell Canada, Nortel Networks, PeopleSoft, Oracle, and Microsoft. Jim is the founder of the 5G Open Innovation Lab in Seattle, Washington. The lab is a community partnership of private and public sponsors focused on discovering, accelerating, and promoting future 5G-inspired use cases and innovation. In fact, a press release has hit the wires today that really talks about the real uses of this technology and what it can do for farmers in rural America. Jim, welcome to The Great Indoors. Thanks, Matt, and I appreciate the opportunity to be part of today's episode. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks for joining. Now, as I do with all of my guests, the first thing I ask is, where are you enjoying The Great Indoors today? Today, I'm enjoying it from my home office here in Kirkland, Washington, where we've been hunkered down for a little bit. And as you know, Matt, I've been splitting my time between here and our cabin out in the mountains as well. But today, we're, we're in Kirkland. How's the weather? Are you missing Ontario today? I very much am. I wish I was in the snow disruption that you guys are experiencing, but we, we have our, our gray and, and drizzly clouds rolling in for yet another four or five days of rain. I love rain and drizzly clouds. You can tell by my accent, you know? <laughs> I figured. <laughs> now, last week we had um, Shelley Palmer, and one of the things we focus on on this series is, you know, obviously working from home, and what have you done at home to sort of self-innovate? So Shelley took us through his amazing home recording studio. And, and you know, I've put a dog basket in my office uh, to the comfort of my dogs when I'm working from home. But can you give us, us an example of something you've done as far as self-innovating and to make your, you know, work life more comfortable in the great indoors? My wife is probably not going to appreciate me doing this or saying this, but uh, um, I've been trying to actually find that zen of working from home. A uh, little funny story over the summer, I was on a pretty important partner call at our cabin and there were six kids around me all playing video games and on tablets and such. And my wife thought none the wiser of it, but a very close friend of ours thought it was really disturbing. And so she subtly tried to get the kids out of the room so I can finish my call. 
Um, and then on my birthday in December, she got me this little sign here that I can put on the outside of my wall. Um, so I'd like to read it to you, which is, it's Go a do it. not disturb sign. Um, yeah. And I won't read the whole thing, but the, the top end of it is, an except, an, except in the case of an emergency, one, you're on fire and only I can rescue you. Or two, the apocalypse has started. Do you interrupt me? And so while most people are finding their Zen, I'm still trying to approach my Zen and my, my dear friend, Rachel, who got me this for my birthday, hit the nail on the head. I think we're going to take a screenshot of that and put it on our website. And I need one. I need one of those. It's, uh, it's actually really funny. Yeah. It's, it's really funny. Then there's an FAQ about how's it going and good and what are you doing <laughs> stuff. And, and then at the end, it says, have a nice day. I'll take a photo and send it to you. But, <laughs> That's um, great. I think we've all found some chaos in the working from home scenario. Uh, and there's many laughable videos of those scenarios going awry. One yeah. of which, Matt, you may have been part of when my daughter was burning flan in the fire caught, caught in the oven. So, <laughs> I haven't seen that one, but that sounds oh, that was That was that an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. That's great. And look, thanks for joining. And, and you pioneer the, the 5G Open Innovation Lab out of Seattle. Give us some history on that, Jim. It's getting a lot of coverage. It's super exciting. How did it come about? What gave you the thought and the inspiration? The inspiration was software. So to, to get into the, the reason behind the lab, uh, just a little bit about where I came from, and, and, and it all makes sense as to why the lab initiated. So I, I grew up in, in the enterprise world. I started my career at Nortel Networks in Toronto. Uh, from there, I took a role at PeopleSoft, which was providing ERP software for enterprises. Uh, from there, I went to California uh, in 2003. Eventually, PeopleSoft was acquired by Oracle, and then Microsoft called in 2005. I started my 13 and a half year career there. So I've always been in enterprise software. And my last couple of roles at Microsoft were really focused very deeply on the ecosystem, whether it was through hardware and the OEM division where I ran the server business or in developer relations and building Microsoft's uh, pedigree in, in, in terms of engaging with startups, early stage startups throughout the United States and Canada. And I did a little venture investing with Microsoft Ventures as well. I looked at the, the world through the lens of software and I looked at it through the lens of enterprise. On the consumer side of my life, I was geeking out like everyone else around what's promised with 5G. And uh, I decided one weekend, I uh, can't really explain why, but I decided one weekend to look up 3GPP specifications written in release 15 and ended up reading it. And as I was reading it, there was a lot of acronyms in there that I, I didn't understand like OSS and BSS and CADM mm -hmm. and all these other things. But there were a lot of things in there conceptually that I deeply understood, which was very much cloud infrastructure. And I started realizing, oh, wow, this, is, this isn't just connectivity anymore. This could be so much bigger. And that interest spurred me to start talking to other colleagues uh, that I've had professionally and in the ecosystem around really what 5G was and what its capabilities as a platform, as a developer ecosystem could be. And through many conversations, it became very apparent to me and some other folks that 5G was bigger than just connectivity and bigger than just the yeah. the the move that we saw from 2G to 3G, 3G to 4G and all of that afforded. This was way bigger. And for yeah. Carrier, this was a great opportunity for them to think differently about their value proposition and what they could do beyond connectivity. In the parallel to that, and from my days at Microsoft, I also saw a lot of interest and a lot of movement, both from the enterprise world and from the startup world 
around the promise of the edge. I mean, we were just getting our hands wrapped around the cloud. The edge was this, you know, other paradigm of massive computing that was talked about, but no one really was experimenting. I don't see edge and 5G as too dissimilar. In fact, I, I see them going hand in hand. Yeah, so, um, that's symbiotic this, in many respects. Right? Very much, yeah. So there was two conversations that I essentially, three conversations that I essentially had. We call that the three-legged stool inside the lab. The first was around startups. Then there was an unflattering amount of attention from them around where the edge was going and how 5G could be transformative to the enterprise, but not a place for them to experiment. On the industry or on the platform side, whether it's a T-Mobile here in the United States or our other partners like Amdocs and Microsoft, there was a there was a ton of interest relative to how would developers want to use and engage the power of what's promised in 5G and the edge and where yeah. to do that. And and so that that was certainly of interest. And then as I continued to chat with industry partners of mine, folks that I had done some business with from Glasgow Smith Klein to Starbucks here locally and others. Uh, there was a strong sense of um, interest in where 5G was going from the standpoint of what it could mean for access to new devices and new data. And this was going back to 2018. I think there was this unique interest on this promise of private cellular connectivity as well. And I mm-hmm. thought, well, that's that's really interesting. So if I were a software developer today looking to go create something transformative that would live out in the edge, but relate very much to what you've done in the public cloud. And I'm a carrier that wants to be a you know bigger part of that action going forward. Where would I go and geek out? Where, where's that community? Yeah. Um, where's that space to go and experiment and learn? And it didn't exist. And so um, after some great conversations with my colleagues at T-Mobile and Intel um, and NASA, actually, we, we discovered that there was, there was in fact a, a real need to go build this community. Uh, what T-Mobile and Intel agreed to at that time, and I think our, our other founding partners see it the same way, is that the the edge in 5G opportunity is it's a really big one. And for them to do it on their own, uh, they'll have some success, but for them to do it together with others, uh, it's it's um, it's even bigger. And so the lab was predicated on a, a partner first model where we're bringing what we think to be is the best platform partners and best connectivity partners together in this pursuit. There's a couple of things there that you said, Jim, that really touch a chord with me. I think the first one is this is, like you said, this is a bigger step change. 5G and what it can give is not even comparable to the 2 to 3G transition or even the 3 to 4G transition. This brings in so many different elements. I see this as the platform that enables the next industrial revolution. I think that's number one. I mean, the promise of it is huge. Right. I think the second thing that I love about it, and I think this is maybe because I'm in marketing. I've spent the last few years traveling to uh, trade shows around the world, whether it's in Barcelona or in Seattle or in Las Vegas or wherever it is. And every conversation about 5G is the same. This hypothetical, it can do this, it will do this. you know. And, and everything was based on just a, a hypothetical situation. I mean, we hear driverless auto, uh, autonomous cars is one of the big things called out. And you know, uh, remote surgery and all these different use cases. But I think what I love about the the initiative that you're spearheading is you're actually putting some reality around the hype, right? Let's build some stuff that works, right? Let's build, let's, because nobody knows, nobody knows what the killer app will be, what the killer use case will be. We've got some ideas. Let's actually see what we can do mentality, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. And 
um, there's a quote that you may have heard time and time again, and it's been attributed to so many people. <laughs> I don't yeah. know who the originator of this following quote was, but I, I think it was Abraham Lincoln that once said that the best way to predict your future is to create it. And and what I extract from that is we we have access to 5G technology now. It's not like it's mythically coming yeah. in the next 15 years. The deployments of it are rolling through with all the carriers around the world, but that 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 standard and the products exist today. So yeah. if we were to go and expose that to a bunch of innovative startups who who think innovatively and are tuned into customer problems and trying to address those customer problems through the products and services they build, well, how would they use that? We won't know. So we could either wait for the wave of 5G pervasiveness to be around for, for us to do that, or we can bring what we call tomorrow into today and start to experiment on it now. So that was yeah. the first thing. The second is that as much as our, our partners have all been innovating quite aggressively and looking to 5G and the edge as an opportunity, they themselves, and I can speak from my time at Microsoft, they're very much platform minded. And, and so they're building the platform capabilities and they're very sensitive to what, what new use cases and products and services could be built that they could eventually evolve their platform capabilities to go support longer term. So this made a lot of sense for them. And then of course, all of this doesn't matter unless you have customers who are buying uh, these products and solutions. And that's where that third leg for us, the industry is really, really important. And for yeah. them, they're coming into this picture saying, we we need to digitally transform our operations. We need to embrace industry 4.0. And, yeah. and, and with that, there's a whole host of problems that they're bringing to the table, many of which are being solved by some of the great startups we have a chance to work with, but there's other great startups around the world that are doing similar or yeah. vice versa with our partners as well. Is Seattle going to be the home of 5G? If you look back in the history of the Seattle ecosystem, it was really the home of the American wireless revolution. Mm -hmm. um, Craig McCaw and the, what the McCaw group did in terms of stitching together spectrum assets around the country to create what was one of the earlier days of the wireless ecosystem here really started here. Uh, right? And then it obviously took shape. In fact, uh, VoiceStream was one of the major outcomes of that effort that was eventually acquired by Deutsche Telekom and, and is what is known as today as as T-Mobile. Yeah. So from the, from the historical standpoint of the United States' early foray into the wireless business, um, it really started here in, in the Seattle area. In, in fact, and I'd have to go qualify this, but I do remember seeing a quote where AT&T had referenced the wireless business being a fad and that it would go away. It started here. Yeah. The cloud computing industry undoubtedly started in Seattle, initially with AWS from Amazon, uh, and then quickly thereafter, Microsoft's Azure. And even before then, Microsoft was very much a cloud vendor. If you think of just simple things like Windows Update as a cloud service, Xbox Live at the time, cloud service. So the two largest cloud vendors on the planet call Seattle home. And we've just talked about the importance of communications and wireless and 5G and edge computing. There isn't a better place from a technology standpoint for this to really happen than here in Seattle. So yeah. the, the lab was really nested in the heritage of some of the technology uprising that, that created what is the cloud today and of course the wireless industry. 
I think Silicon Valley has moved north. talk about some of your different partners that you've you've brought in sure. uh, Jim obviously we're one I'm Docs okay and th- and that's great but I think that the illustrious set of founding partners you have uh, and we mentioned T-Mobile as well is is really incredible so just give us sort of a, a quick rundown of, of the partners and what each of them individually brings to the the entire ecosystem sure we I think it's safe to say we all share the same goals and visions for where this ecosystem can eventually go to, but individually they each bring uh, a unique perspective that's you know tied to to priorities and goals that they have. Uh, so with T-Mobile, um, it, it, their T-Mobile for Business unit is very much interested in seeing that intersection of innovation, industrial problems as it relates to their aspirations and connecting deeper into the enterprise. Uh, customer world, and and that's something that we're we're helping them actively with. Um, our partnership with VMware, VMware is very very deeply nested inside the enterprise world, and is taking some of those same capabilities and what they've built with vCenter and ESX, and bringing them into into the telco world. And on top of that, creating immense amount of new value. As I mentioned earlier, the the five G world is becoming more cloudified, so they're they're very much seeing very similar. Uh, uh, opportunities at T-Mobile is from the standpoint of where enterprises are going. And I would say they they equally want to serve that market as they do want to serve their deep enterprise roots in connecting those two dots. Dell has an aspiration becoming the essential infrastructure provider. They are likely uh, you know very, very uh, big in the enterprise world, equally as large in the cloud computing world. They're taking that same approach in the telco world as well and, and doing extremely well in that world. So for their standpoint, they looked at this as an opportunity of uh, providing infrastructure into what could be a very big opportunity, both in 5G and on the edge. The Amdocs piece I'm really excited about, not just because I'm on this webcast with you today, but I'm excited about because Amdocs is looking at the traditional world of telecommunications that you've cut your teeth on and, and looking at how that's going to evolve in this context. And we're really excited about some of the things we're doing with Amdocs. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say in the next two to three years, this won't be your your Amdocs of today. It'll be very, very different. And hopefully we have a way to play a role in that transformation as well. We're really excited about that. Um, sure. Intel it, you know, powers silicon on, on many devices from your PCs to IoT devices to big iron and data centers to the edge. They're also very big uh, supporter of open source efforts as well. So if you follow Intel, you're likely following their open source contributions and FlexRAN and OpenVINO and similar projects to that. And so from their standpoint, they're very interested in understanding where the context of compute is going from public to hybrid to enterprise, now to edge and how that's going to evolve and shape and be different in the 5G world. Um, and so they've been a very strong partner like our other founding partners as well. We also have um, corporate partnership with F5 Networks, who was also founded here in the Seattle area. Um, F5 Networks traditionally has been very strong in the networking world. Um, Big IP is one of their very famous products. Well, they've been um, evolving in addition to supporting their load balancing products and Big IP. 
they've been looking at application security and the free mobility of those applications across networks, regardless of what networks they run on and what cloud environments they run on as well. So we're very, very happy to be partnered um, and humbled to be partnered with F5 from that context as well. So when you take a step back, these these are our fantastic enterprise and platform partners that we have the opportunity to work with. When you look at their various motivations and the goals that we've set in the lab, it's a really unique mix of partnerships. And I, mm-hmm. I'm really proud of the fact that our partners are not just sponsoring this, um, this effort, they're actively engaged in every aspect of our program from the selection of the companies to the mentoring of the companies to some announcements we made today as well, which we can get into later on today's yeah. call. No, it's an amazing, and, and could we, there's one that you mentioned, well, one that you didn't mention, I'd just like to ask briefly, because I've never been involved in my 20 years in the industry with these guys, but NASA mm-hmm. as well. That was amazing when I saw NASA as a founding partner. We, funny story with NASA, um, Rich Phillips, who heads up our communications, um, is is very close friends with some folks at NASA and had, had casually mentioned that he was part of this 5G Open Innovation Lab in its early days. And it and it turned out that um, that NASA has some pretty big aspirations around fi- where 5G is going. In fact, I think it was just a few weeks ago, if not a month ago, that they announced that they were building a private 5G network with Nokia. I think it started as a 4G LTE network, eventually get to 5G as well. Um, So from their standpoint, communications is integral to their future space missions, both here terrestrially and also orbitally as well. And they saw this as an opportunity to plug into some of this early innovation that could uh, be beneficial to their space programs going forward. So let's talk about today and the food resiliency program. So uh, for our listeners, uh, there's a a big press uh, announcement and push today on this initiative. And just to set the scene, I'm just going to play a clip from some of the farmers uh, in the Washington area uh, on, on what this program means to them. In order for the American farmer to survive, we have to improve our efficiencies in our operations. We have to figure out a way to produce more food on less acres. If we lose these farms, we lose our food security. And to keep these farms here, they have to be economically viable. The commercial side of rural America doesn't have that access to the data and the applications and the infrastructure that can help them become a lot more efficient. The stuff we take for granted is not something that these farmers get to enjoy because in many cases, they're just precluded from access to the internet. What we hope to do here is democratize that technology for farmers. This project provides the information that they need to be economically viable, whether it's a small boutique farm or it's a large commercial farm or somewhere in between. Tell us a little bit about the announcement today, Jim, and the, the food resiliency initiative that's been announced. We are very fortunate to have the opportunity to partner with one of our public partners called Snohomish County on building two field labs um, in the industry, like likely known as test beds. These field labs will cover two farming sites 
in Snohomish County. And Snohomish County is the county just north of us here in Seattle and King County. Uh, these sites are outfitted with self-contained standalone 5G CBRS-based networks. That's a mouthful. But essentially, they're CBRS-based networks that we've deployed using Nokia gear on the RAN. Uh, we have dedicated cores. And so one of our farm locations is running a Metaswitch core from Microsoft. Our second location is actually running one of our startups' core from Expedo. Each of those locations also has its own dedicated edge node. All of our server hardware is provided by Dell. All of our virtualization uh, platform capabilities provided by VMware. And all of our network security and app security infrastructure is provided by F5 Networks. Those two sites are essentially the quintessential standalone private cellular networks. And they do two things for us. The first is as a chance for us to actually deploy with our partners a set of technology that I haven't been able to see anywhere in the world being deployed in this, in this form or fashion. So that lends itself to now the experimentation piece. And I see the experimentation piece, Matt, in really two worlds. We have startups like Innovate Ag and Transparent Path and UNU that are creating technologies for the agricultural business that can use the field labs to experiment and learn in a standalone 5G environment. The second area of experimentation is as the industry and the platform and the innovations come together in our three-legged stool concept, startups working with our platform partners and understanding what the problems are that exist with our industry customers, in this case, to farming locations. From that, there's likely to be a number of new use cases that not only we can dream of and experiment, but ultimately vet out and prove via these field labs. And that's what's really exciting for us. And it's happening in, in Snohomish County. In addition to that, we also created our own um, edge computing platform with all of our partners involved in that. Um, and that will tie into both of those sites. So as an app builder uh, in our startups that are using the field labs, they will continue to run their core applications in the public cloud. They can now burst into our edge via these two field locations and our edge computing platform for processing the data that they're collecting real time on the sites or even through our, our mobile edge uh, container. And the best part of all of that is if you're a carrier and you're looking to imagine what how you can transform your network, our partnership with Amdocs is deploying all of the baseline OSS and BSS orchestration functionality so that as those applications run across those networks, they can be metered and effectively charged back at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. These are field labs and it's quasi a look into what the future of a carrier could be in the context of computing in the cloud and working with the innovation ecosystem. And they're not doing it alone because every aspect of what we're showing today has a very heavy component of our partners being involved in this. Yeah. So you're packaging it up, all those partners, you're bringing it out into the field, right? You're, you're showing to the service providers a real enterprise use case, right? That can be deployed. Yeah. Let's let's take another look at this. What does this mean for the farmers? Right. I think this is a really interesting angle as well, because this is all about efficiency, making their operations more efficient. Uh, it, and it's it's a pretty critical, vital sector of the economy. So long term, what, what could this mean to agriculture and, and to everyday individuals? Fantastic question. We have a belief in the lab amongst myself and our team that that every industry is a software industry, meaning every industry will have dependency on software 
as part of their operations today and certainly as part of their digital transformation journey long term. Farming is no different. There is a segment of the farming and agricultural community today that operates very much outside of any sort of access to, to connectivity, let alone any innovation on the on the cloud side that allow them to create the app or, or rather benefit from applications that can help them be more efficient in what they do in their case growing produce and so for them for our two farmers they're now having access to a steady state of connectivity and by way of the lab we'll have access to uh, startups that we have a chance to work with both on the vertically integrated side like the UNUs and transparent paths and innovate ags and then a number of startups who are providing horizontal capabilities like latent AI for computer vision, med computing, similarly for computer vision, Mixcom for millimeter wave. And those new capabilities will allow them to discover what we've all taken for granted in an urban area, access to common compute, access to applications, access to connectivity. They yeah. don't necessarily have that at scale. And now that they do, these two field labs become some proving grounds where, as I mentioned earlier, innovation meets platform meets industry problems and together when use cases start to emerge out of real issues that these farmers are having we have a field lab that can validate those as being uniquely you know commercial in in nature and then eventually prove those out over time and that's what's exciting for for them but honestly the the thing that we're solving for them today is they have connectivity yeah it's the yeah. most low tech of it all yeah. Uh, given everything I've just explained, there's so much more there. The fact yeah. that they just have connectivity so that in one of our cases with Nate at Swan Trails, he can now run around his um, his farming look. They're an agriculture business, but focused on consumer. He can actually now confidently do basic POS, point of sale for his customer engagements. And and that's been lacking. I mean, we, we take yeah. it for granted where we're at. But in the context of farmers around the country, around the world, they, they lack that important connectivity. And I think I've, I've just thought of this, and I think it's it's really valid. In the last season of podcasts, when we all went into lockdown and and we you know our working practices changed, we talked about the democratization uh, of digital. Right, uh, the the grandmothers were using um, online banking for the first time. There was home education home working, right. telemedicine, all these things, were, were the tech accelerator had been stepped on and people were adopting stuff that existed, but the adoption rate shot up to levels we hadn't expected to see since 2026. Right. I think it's safe to say that the initiative you're working on here is almost a democratization of digital for this particular industry, right? Starting right. with connectivity, right? You're bringing them that connectivity, those tools, analytics, so that they can start to take their particular business, which is vital to society, to that next level. And I think that's what makes it all the more interesting. I totally agree. And we haven't gotten into this part. I'm, I am no expert when it comes to agriculture, but from the experiences that I have had through this project, it's it's pretty obvious that our, our, our growers, who are fundamentally important to our survival longer term, are having to do more with less. They're having yeah. to increase their yield off the same amount of plot land that they have. In many cases, and I've talked to growers in Eastern Washington, which is the other side of our, our Cascade range here, they're spending literally millions of dollars on chemicals because they don't have the access to the right data to make informed decisions around irrigation and pruning and others that would lessen their dependency in other means. Um, yeah. And so from that standpoint, you're absolutely right. There was a study that was done 
by Deloitte. It's a TMT study that they published last summer, and it's it's available for public use. But in that study, Deloitte points out that there are 7 million macro sites around the world. There's 14 million unlicensed or rather uncovered industrial sites that have no internet connectivity or no cellular connectivity whatsoever. That's yeah. huge. And I, yeah. I reference that study oftentimes because I don't think people are paying enough attention to that. It's yeah. a huge opportunity. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, uh, whether yeah. it's oil and gas, uh, whether it's mining, whether it's healthcare in rural America, whether it's um, you know retail, it, it doesn't matter. We could all benefit from connectivity. We can certainly all benefit from the power of applications running in the cloud as well. And 5G, I think, is the melting point of all of that coming together. What other things can you share with us that's potentially on the horizon or being worked on or that, like we talked about, democratizing digital for agriculture, but is effectively democratizing digital for other industries that we hadn't thought about? I, I know I know of a lot of carriers around the world that are sort of looking at the emerging interest areas for private cellular connectivity as a space that they could potentially play in. I, I coin it telco as a service, if you will. Um, I think that's a really interesting space. There's early indications that that space um, is is possibly poised to grow even further than what you've seen it today. And I'm looking at data that's publicly available through the FCC. There was a recent uh, priority access license for CBRS that happened in the summer of 2020. Over $4 billion worth of priority access licenses were sold in that auction. Um, there are vendors or rather corporates like John Deere and Chevron that participate in that auction. Um, so I think there's some early signals there. There's a number of emerging startups. Uh, Salona, partner of the lab, uh, Boris Rensky, who is the founder of Freedom Five from our, our second batch, uh, Michael Anderson, Brian, and um, and others from from Expedo that have created private uh, cellular network platforms are also indicators of where that innovation is going. So from a carrier perspective, I think they've done extremely well in terms of connectivity on the consumer end of things. But there are some strong signals that would suggest that that approach to connecting the world can now have a play for them in terms of connecting into the enterprise world. And private cellular connectivity is certainly one of those areas. The other area that we get really excited about and, and something we're constantly seeking out to prove over time is that there has to be a developer journey for 5G. So if you and I were starting a startup today and we took our proverbial credit card and threw it on the ground and said, all right, Sign me up an instance on AWS or an Azure or a Google Cloud is very easy to go do that. Very well-worn path. There's a developer journey there people understand. If I wanted to do that today with a T-Mobile, there isn't one. There's a set of APIs that you could potentially connect to for, for some use cases that they've enabled. But essentially, uh, in the sense of like cloud, that doesn't exist today. So one of the exciting uh, efforts that we with our founding partners are exploring is how do you extend the reach of, of these networks from public, hybrid, private into an edge environment? And how do you do that across the globe? The reality is exists that uh, a lot of that technology is here now. It comes down to some you know broader conversations and some experimentation, which we hope to do now through today's announcements uh, to actually start to get closer to that reality going forward. The other one that is often overlooked, and I think 
if I were investing today, I would be investing heavily in this space is in security. The GSMA early in 2020 published a report that suggested by 2025, there'd be over 25.6 billion IoT devices connecting to cellular networks around the world. And that is in comparison to the roughly 6 billion uh, cell phones or mobile phones that are connected to networks in the world. So you can see there's almost a, a five-time in increase or a four-time increase in, in the number of connected devices. Well, every one of those connected devices is security threat. Every one of them. Yeah, It's a new front door. It's a new window that they can Absolutely. get through. And if you look yeah. at all the embarrassing um, hacks that have played out or compromises in networks, there's a good chunk of them that come through IoT doors. In fact, I was talking to an, a, a security specialist the other day that suggested over 70% of IoT devices, the default uh, user and password is never changed. <laughs> So security is a, is a huge use case. It's not something to get really excited about because when it's working, there's nothing to be excited about. But when it all fails, then everyone's excited about that, right? Yeah. Why they haven't fixed it. So those are three areas that I get really, really impassioned by. The the other things, those other use cases we've talked about really fall into in, into those categories. And they're, they're very much horizontal plays. So where would you like the 5G Open Innovation Lab to be 12 months from now? In the ideal world, if you could look back over 12 months, everything's virtual. Obviously, there's the big press announcement today. But what other things would really give you the feeling of success 12 months from now? Uh, from a U.S. perspective, our goals um, today were really to start this effort and to build that developer journey uh, for 5G. We, we have explored uh, discussions with other carriers around the world about potentially doing outposts similar to what we're doing here in Seattle and other countries. I look at that as a, as a great opportunity that not only helps us be part of other communities around the world, but also exposes us and our partners to a whole host of new innovation that's happening outside of the United States in, in yeah. other uh, progressive markets as well. And, and I'm really excited about where that goes. Um, we think that this first six months of 2021 will be uh, very, very shapeful, if you will, in in kind of where the the direction of the lab goes and and its future opportunities as well. The essence and the ethos, if you will, of our lab is is all partnerships, right? As we talked about earlier today, and so yeah. if there's opportunities for us to partner with other labs or other organizations where it makes sense for us to do so and makes sense in the context of our of our existing partnerships, we're excited about exploring those areas too. No, I think that's the, I think that's where I was kind of headed with the question is. We've seen, we've seen, and you know, because you took part in FutureCom with our teams down in South America. Right. There's a lot of the rest of the world looking at this initiative excitedly and worrying and wondering what's going to come out of this that we can ride the success of. Also, you know, sure. when I look all over Europe, and that's why it's really fascinating. I, I would say that 5G is an opportunity for us all to think differently. It is not just a faster way of connecting our mobile devices. It is really much bigger than that. If I can point to something that we could be proud of in the next three years, one obviously would be the great companies we get the chance to work with. Two is the partnerships that we have in play today and where those uh, partnerships will eventually lead us to. But the third is that hopefully we've made a, a, a difference in, in helping the carrier community, the developer community and the enterprise and industrial communities as well. Think differently about where 5G is going and how important it's gonna be to their um, evolutions, if you will. And that's really what our mission is, is to really put a different spin on 
what we know 5G has the capability for. And I invite anybody who's listening in today's podcast to be as inquisitive as we are and reach out, and we'd love to connect. We're not here to compete with anybody. We want to build a community, and that's what our partners expect of our program, and that's what we expect of ourselves as well. Um, and so whether you're an industrial customer interested and intrigued on where 5G is going, a startup who thinks that 5G is going to be an important area of investigation wants to essentially geek out with us, we'd love to hear from you. And of course, our, our, platform, our platform partners, we're very excited about where this is all going with their help as well. So thank you, Jim, for joining The Great Indoors. And it's clear after our discussion today that the hype of 5G has now given way to reality. It's no longer just an acronym or a marketing slogan to sell the latest phones. It's changing lives and industries. In this instance, agriculture. This is just the beginning, but with initiatives like the 5G Open Innovation Lab that pulls together these eight teams of tech for a common purpose, the future for society as a whole is bright and exciting. The promise of 5G is about to deliver. So buckle up, things are gonna get interesting. And indeed, the best way to predict your future is to create it. So please visit our website, amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors. On that site, we will host a plethora of interesting videos, white papers, news articles, and assets related to the series. And of course, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast provider of choice. And we'll look forward to speaking, hearing from you next time on The Great Indoors. This is Matt Roberts for Amdocs in Toronto. See you next time.